Mark Andrew, uh, uh, Mom, <laughs> I'll be right. I'll be right home, Mom. I'm just down the street. <laughs> that that gag never gets old. <laughs> Let's make a podcast All right. episode. All right, okay, we can do that. That's fine. <clears throat> Start it. Start it off. Well, this is modern dadhood, and as we've said since the first episode, it's an ongoing conversation about the joys challenges and general insanity of being a dad in this moment right mark i'm robert krolwich i'm jad abumrod (laughs) oh wait that's a different that's a different podcast no yes i'm mark you're adam that's right and what what's uh something that's unique uniquely relevant to this show about us Oh, oh, um, I can do that thing where when you eat, you put a whole cherry with the stem in your mouth and you can remove the stem from the cherry, eat the cherry and then tie the stem in a knot with your tongue. Okay. I suppose that's unique to fatherhood. Well, I should Mm -hmm. probably tell you now that my hidden talent is putting a piece of wet spaghetti up my nose. No, you can't. Pulling it out my mouth and then, and flossing. That's incredible. No, I can't. I can't do it. Although as a kid, I was definitely jealous of people who could do that. That does that does take some serious talent, some serious control over the gag reflex. It's also pretty disgusting. I think you were getting at the fact that uh, 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 that I'm a, a dad to twin boy four four and three quarter year olds. Getting close Two to five. Away. Okay. All right. Big things happen at five. I hope they start uh, listening better. <laughs> Hey, my daughters are almost nine and almost six, and uh, listening is still a thing that doesn't happen in our house. So, Son of- doesn't mean it's going to be the same for you, but uh, you know, fair warning, it's going to be the same for you. I appreciate that. <laughs> appreciate the fair warning. Okay, what are we talking about today? Do we have an agenda. I did want to say this. This is mm-hmm. part of our opening spiel. Uh, dads and moms oh, okay. who are listening. Uh, Modern Dadhood, all of our episodes can be found on our website, moderndadhood.com, or anywhere you can listen to podcasts. And that's places like Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Spotify. And wherever you listen, please do subscribe and take just a couple seconds to leave us a very quick and simple rating and a review. Uh, That's what helps us to get the podcast out to more people. That and, of course, just telling friends about it. Word of mouth. Every time you tell a friend about the show, an angel gets its wings. It's very sweet. Did you just make that up? I did. I thought I was thinking about angels and I was thinking about how they get their wings and it just came out. Uh, do you want to share who the guest is on the episode today? Oh, I'm really excited for, uh, for today's uh, guest. We spoke with Jermaine Moore. He founded the Mars Hill Group, which does training, development, and uh, um, consulting for uh, leadership training and diversity, equity, and inclusion. And uh, we talked about a lot of great stuff uh, with Jermaine. I actually learned a lot from that conversation. I often write notes when we're, when we're interviewing someone, but usually the notes are for the interview. You know, like as we're talking, like you jot a little thing down because you want to come back to it or because it relates to another question that you have. But 
when talking with Jermaine, I was just writing notes for myself for the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause I was, he just dropped so many really good nuggets that I did not want to forget. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure our guests are going to get some great, great stuff out of the interview. It was a good long chat and we'll be sharing it in just a couple minutes. Oh, hey, man, I told oh. you about this a while back, but mm-hmm. I want to tell our listeners in January, January 26th through 29th, mm-hmm. I'm going to be attending uh, an event called PodFest Multimedia Expo in Orlando, Florida. You're not just going to be attending. I'm going to be leading a breakout session, speaking to attendees about uh, how to use video to market a podcast effectively. Sick. Grab a ticket and come down, hang out. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I'm excited to meet a whole bunch of new people down there and learn a bunch of things about uh, how to make our podcast better. Mark, are you going to come to this or what? You know, uh, I'm gonna, I'm, I think I'm going to get my act together and I too will be joining you yes. at PodFest as, a, as an attendee. I'll be wandering around, checking out some of the uh, sessions and some of the workshops and whatnot, hoping to uh, also learn a thing or two. Uh, dads and moms, you can learn more about PodFest at PodFestExpo.com. Yeah, cool. So that's PodFest. Uh, what else? Uh, holidays coming up? We are hurtling like a, like, a, like a train going downhill that has lost its brakes towards Christmas. And I don't know about y'all, but uh, not ready. Barreling downhill, just, just overflowing, just packed to the gills with stuff, with single-use yeah. plastics and just... Mm-hmm. just Paper, like just wasteful uh, paper, cardboard boxes, boxes that have have cardboard boxes that have like little plastic windows so you can see the toy. But then and but then you get past that part. But then the toy is locked down tight with the screw, you know, the plastic screw things that hold them on now. And you got to find where all those are. 15 little plastic, you know, tightening straps that you got to cut out. Not a double A battery in sight. So when you finally do get to it, it doesn't do the thing it's supposed to do. Everything has a zillion little pieces. And if you lose one or two, it doesn't function anymore. I'm already over it. Yeah, my blood pressure's through the roof about this. It hasn't even started, and I'm already over it. Yeah. No, no. I'm sure it's going to be great. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be be awesome. Can't wait. Christmas. Woo-hoo. No, the girls are are very much looking forward to it, and uh, and we are too. I feel like it's become popular, and I I like this a lot, and it's something that we uh, do to some extent with our girls is like we say, all right, so a couple weeks before Christmas, we're going to go through the playroom. And we're going to just sort of do a clean out and anything that you don't play with that's in, in good shape. Let's choose some stuff that we're going to donate to to other families, you know, to families who, you know, aren't as fortunate as us and who would really enjoy these things that are sitting here that you are no longer playing with. But I just think that the idea of it, you know, getting them thinking about other people and hopefully feeling uh, grateful for, mm-hmm. you know, what they have, I, I think it's a good lesson for them. I love that. That's a great, that's a great idea. Well, listen, I want to keep talking about Christmas, 
But I do feel like it's important that we get into our recent chat with Jermaine Moore uh, because I just got so much out of that conversation that uh, I can't wait for our, our listeners to hear it. Roll tape. Jermaine Moore is one of the founders of the Mars Hill Group, a training, development, and consulting firm focused on leadership training and diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. He is a father of four kids, and we are honored to welcome him to Modern Data. Jermaine, thank you so much for making time to be with us this morning. Well, Adam, thank you so much for having me, Mark. So good to see you as well. How are you doing? Four, four kids. What, uh, t- tell us a little bit about your family. Uh, I'm tired. That's what I am. <laughs> Four kids, <laughs> okay. it's tiring. Uh, and uh, but the family is doing absolutely wonderful. Uh, they are a bit dispersed uh, uh, right now. I have um, you know two boys, uh, two girls. My my son Baruch is in Ohio. He just got married last year, so he oh, is wow. uh, starting his uh, life and his family uh, out there. Um, my son Avery was recently in Atlanta, um, and my daughter uh, Mel is in Boston. And my youngest, um, who is still home, she's 17. She's currently in Spain uh, doing a semester abroad. So wow. they are kind of all over, all over uh, the world, I should say, but uh, all, all as well. Yeah, you're not kidding. That's quite, uh, that's quite a spread. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it was wild uh, when they were young. Actually, my oldest, Baruch, uh, we adopted when he was 15. We adopted him about 10 years ago from Ethiopia. Wow. So it was three, uh, my oldest, Avery, my two girls. Uh, and, then, uh, and then we added Baruch. And so then it became four. Which is interesting because I always wanted four. I grew up as an only child and I didn't realize it was the fourth was going to come through adoption, but happy to have him. He's been a blessing uh, ever since. That's incredible. So Jermaine, I want to first thank you for the very important work that you do in educating people about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, Obviously it's a huge responsibility and it really seems like the people who have uh, experienced your training and interacted with you just speak so highly of you. So we're, we're really, again, very happy to have you here. I wonder maybe uh, if you could share a little bit about how you got into this particular line of work. Yeah. So um, I had the pleasure of working with a few wonderful organizations and helping with their learning and development. Just some organizations that are really focused on strong cultures and um, and learning and developing, supporting uh, those, those cultures and uh, worked with some great leadership, um, great CEOs. Um, it was fairly natural for me to move into the diversity, equity, inclusion space for a couple of reasons. One, I have a lot of passion for this work is my own lived experience. And um, and I felt that if there was anything I could do to really make our community a better place for my children, um, then it's something that I'm, I'm interested in doing. But I also realized that of all the things that I do, I don't know if there's anything that uh, can have the impact that um, diversity, equity, inclusion can have. Because not only can we impact current generations, but generations to come. And so, and of course, on the heels of the George Floyd murder, you know, there was a lot of organizations that felt, you know, they, they wanted to do more work. Uh, in, in this space. They weren't quite sure what to do. They knew they wanted to do something. Um, they recognized there were some issues that we were all wrestling with. And um, and we've been fortunate enough to be able to come alongside a lot of those organizations and help. We're going to add plenty of links in our show notes so that folks listening can sort of educate themselves on DEI. But just since we have you, curious if you could give sort of a brief summary of what diversity, equity, and inclusion means. 
Oh, what a great question, because there's a lot of confusion on, on, on what it is. So typically, and Dee and I work, when we're talking about diversity, we're talking about ways in which we identify, and we have many different identities, but the identities that we focus on include uh, race, gender, sexual orientation, age, religion, social economic status, which mm-hmm. is often forgotten aspect of diversity, mm-hmm. neurodiversity, which just acknowledges that for some of us, our brains are wired differently than others, mm-hmm. and we have to leave room for those differences. Um, and so diversity itself, these identities are, are very important to us. Actually, our identities inform how we walk through life, how we experience mm-hmm. the world, their relationships with one another, with uh, institutions, with our community, with history. Our identities are very, very important to us. So diversity work specifically focus on those identities that have been or are being marginalized, pushed aside, underrepresented, underserved, mm-hmm. oppressed, discriminated against. Uh, diversity work tends to focus on those identities. Inclusion is really asking, what are we doing with that diversity? And, you know, how are we leveraging, you know, this diversity? It's not enough to say, all right, we're diverse. Um, but what are we doing to enjoy some of the benefits of, of our newly diverse teams or our newly diverse communities? And when I work in organization, inclusion, um, you know, focuses on creating a culture where all feel welcomed, valued, respected, seen and heard. If you have everyone, no matter how they identify, they feel welcome, valued, respected, seen, and heard, it creates a sense of belonging. And that sense of belonging is so very important to us. Like, actually, it's only second to our desire to be loved. We all want to be loved and cared for, every single one of us. I don't care what you say. I don't care how hard you think you are. We all want to be loved and cared for. But right after that is our desire to feel that we belong. And so inclusion is trying to create this environment where you feel that you you belong here and you can thrive here and you can be your authentic self mm-hmm. here in this space. And when we do that, by the way, for organizations, productivity goes up, retention goes up, turnover goes down, um, creativity goes up, innovation goes up. There are actual benefits to being diverse and creating this place where people can be their, their authentic selves. So that's inclusion. And when we think about equity, um, equity just acknowledges that the playing field isn't level for all. Because of these identities, there are certain barriers for some. Equity work tries to level the playing field to give people not equal outcomes, right? It's not guaranteed mm-hmm. equal outcomes. That's a misconception when it comes to equity. Um, but what it's trying to do is ensure people have equal opportunity to thrive, to succeed, equal access uh, to these uh, to these opportunities. And then it's kind of on on you what what you do with it. So if we look at diversity, we're thinking of, of diverse people and these radically different people gives us radically different perspectives. Um, equity, we're typically looking at policy and practices. So you may see things like uh, pay equity. So we're looking at our pay policies, for instance, to ensure there is no gap between what we pay women and what we pay men for the same position, right? And then uh, inclusion, of course, is culture work. It's, uh, it's not only being in the room and having a seat at the table, but feeling empowered that your voice is, is going to be heard and being listened to. I just love the way that you, you put this a minute ago. Uh, everyone wants to be welcomed, valued, respected, seen, and heard. You got it, Mark. And that's just, uh, it's just so powerful because everybody fits right into that. Everybody. It doesn't matter uh, uh, the differences, the, 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 where you come from or, or what you uh, subscribe to uh, you in your personal it. life or what, what not. That's just wonderful. Yeah. Mark. And sometimes like people for whatever reason have this, um, idea that 
this work is exclusive. It's like at the heart of it is inclusivity. So when I say right. everyone, like you said, feels yeah. welcome by respect. That's everyone. That's good for us all, no matter how you identify. But we want to make make sure we're creating a culture where no one is left out, right, from mm-hmm. feeling welcome, valued, respected, seen, and heard. And that is at the core of the work of uh, what we do. So I want to chat, Jermaine, you know, about fatherhood and parenthood and, and, you know, how we can instill this practice, you know, in our kids so that when they are of an age where they're going into a workforce or mm-hmm. even before that, even as they just advance through elementary school, middle school, high school, college, if they choose to do higher ed, that it's more of just a, a, a way of life for them as opposed to something that they have to be trained to uh, to yeah. think about yes but before i ask about that you know you uh, had mentioned the murder of george floyd yeah. as sort of a milestone when you started to see more companies um making efforts to incorporate dei mm-hmm. into things like recruiting uh, mm-hmm. presumably i guess my question is it's great, you know, that in the wake of such a, a horrible tragedy that yeah. companies are thinking about this and want to move in this direction and, and strive to learn and be open minded and inclusive. But you also must see a lot of companies who are re- are doing it to sort of check a box. They understand yeah. on paper, right, that it's mm-hmm. important, but maybe don't fully understand the true value that you just described. Yeah. How do you, how do you train people to approach this stuff in a way that is, that's earnest as opposed yeah. to just sort of following a protocol? Yeah, Adam, it's always a, a struggle. That's the challenge, right? How do we ensure this isn't some check off the box activity, something that we do and then never uh, think about or pick up again? Mm-hmm. And so where I start with organizations is with, with culture. I talk about the importance of culture. I explain what culture is and and, and culture, uh, you know, our values are really our cultural cornerstones. Right. Mm-hmm. So anytime I introduce uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, I try to make the case that DEI lives within our culture and to ensure that it's not this check out the box activity. We have to connect it to our values. And basically the question that we're asking is how does this allow us to live out our values every day? How does this allow us to be the best version of ourselves? And and so people start to realize, oh, where this work lives is in our culture and integrated into everything that we do. And when we do that, we we, we become the best version of ourselves, you know, as, as an organization. So we start with culture. We help people make the connection uh, to the, to the culture, and uh, and that tends to that tends to move the needle a little bit. McKinsey and Company is also, they have also done three global studies and there's just more than them to really top the benefit of, of how DI affects the bottom line and what they, every, every one of their studies continue to confirm that companies that embrace diversity, equity, inclusion, they compare those companies with, with uh, between the bottom quartile companies that are not embracing DEI, um, they just, uh, they, they consistently outperform by significant percentages. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, we have to make the business case as well, because for some people saying it's the right thing to do is not enough. I wish it was for every organization. Right. Right. Uh, but for others, you have to say, all right, this is how it's going to affect your bottom line. This is why it's, it's worth uh, the investment to create this type of space. And, and some organizations get it and they embrace it and they, it makes perfect sense for them. For others, it's a little bit more of a struggle. 
That makes a lot of sense. Um, so now sort of moving over to the the parenting side and, and mm. thinking about how we talk to our kids about this, but also just model it for our kids so that it's something that, it, again, is is just normal for them yeah. um, as it should be. Obviously, we live in an area in southern Maine that's very non-diverse, at least as far as uh, racial diversity, right? Yeah. Living in a, an area where there is such a lack of racial diversity specifically yeah. and being in the line of work that you're in, has this conversation always been sort of prominent in, in your family? How, how did you talk to your own kids about it as they were growing up? Yeah, and uh, and you're right. We are not diverse uh, here uh, in Maine. Uh, Maine is the whitest state in the country. That's government statistics. Uh, Vermont is number two. So there's a couple issues with that. Well, one, it, it prevents a lot of us here in these areas uh, to have exposure to these differences, and so right. a lot of it is new. Um, and so, and that exposure can be very important in our own education. Um, and so, because we lack real contact, real relationships, we rely on other sources to inform what people are like. And unfortunately, when we rely on media uh, to kind of uh, tell stories about people that are different from you, usually those stories aren't very, very positive. Um, and so that's mm -hmm. one barrier that we have to get through. The second barrier uh, in this area is um, because we don't have, you know, certain types of diversity here, it, it can, it, we can almost get um, complacent and think, well, these are, these aren't issues that we that we have to deal with here. This isn't exactly. a problem for us here. Yeah. Um, and that is uh, that that is a very difficult one uh, to get through. But I'm I'm one and I've always believed that um, particularly as parents, particularly as a dad, um, that more is caught than taught. Right. So we can say whatever what we whatever we want. But our children are watching us. They're paying attention to us. They're seeing how we walk through this world. They're seeing how we navigate some of these situations and they're going to take their cues from us. And um, so that's the, the number one thing that we can do as parents. If we're living it, we're walking it, um, it'll it'll teach our children um, to, to do the same. If they see you care about it, they start to care about it and they're taking their cues, uh, their cues from us. But um, it is a little bit harder uh, here in, in an area that's not not so diverse, right, where you don't have a lot of those learning opportunities right in front of you. Yeah, that that lack of exposure. So I'm 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 not originally from around here, but I am from I'm from rural Pennsylvania. So it, yeah. it's a lot of uh, dairy farms and yes. cornfields and stuff yes, like is. that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And I mean, I think it's, I lived for a long time in New York city. Pendulum swung really far <laughs> for me in one, one regard. And then I spent a lot of time in New York city and then uh, moved up here. And now that I have children of my own, I'm, I'm seeing, you know, so many of the similarities that my kids are, are growing up with that I had growing up that were yeah. part of the reason why I said, you know, see, ya, I'm going to New York City for a little while. Yes. And, 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 and you know, I think my parents did do a lot in terms of modeling, but yeah. I, I know that right now I'm, I'm starting to struggle with this, with this realization of the real lack of just generally speaking exposure that my kids are going to get. Yes. You know, yes. it seems like there's there's something I can do, but I still also just feel really stuck, yeah. you know, in going about that the right way. And some of that is because I I'm aware that I, I have these unconscious biases yes. that that 
I mean, you're only you're only ever kind of so aware of those things. Yes. yes, yes. Uh, and, you know, I'm not really getting at a question other than I, I wonder, like, what are some things that I can do or some resources that I can go to to sort of aid me in this journey of of bringing that exposure? Yeah. To my kids. Yeah, Mark, I, I love that. Um, you know, there are a couple of things we can do and, and I can relate. Um, it's interesting when I moved here from Philadelphia, we had a house right outside of Philadelphia near Willow mm. Grove and very diverse. Our street was very diverse and I almost took it for granted, actually. Mm. Like I, when I moved my kids here, I didn't realize that I would miss that aspect of diversity so much. Um, yeah. I, I just and I didn't realize how important that would be for my children, to be honest with you. Like I, I almost just took it for granted. It was something I grew up around. It was like, oh, this is just what it is. And then, you know, when it's gone, you realize, oh, wait, that was such an enriching, important piece of my childhood um, to be around uh, these differences. And what I'm seeing, and I'll answer your question here in a second, but as my kids get older, I'm finding they yearn for that diversity. Mm. And what I'm finding is they're leaving Maine. Like they are, they're, they, they're going where they can find, just like you went to New York, yeah. they're finding their own places where they can be uh, around this diversity. It, it, even though they didn't quite have it, they there's something inside that that that, that they, they miss it and they, and they want it. And so as, as regarding our kids, See, there's an advantage that our youth have uh, today that we didn't have, um, and it's that they have so much information at their fingertips right now. Yeah. Um, but the, the resources that they have available are are, are, are wonderful, and we got to take advantage of those resources. Yeah, because there's some, we got to meet them where they are, right? So right. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we should be talking to our little ones about the murder of George Floyd, like you know, about like police brutality. They may be a little bit young. Yeah. To, to really ponder some of the inequities in that system. But what we can teach them very early on is this idea of empathy, right? We can teach uh, them what, you know, help them exercise and grow this muscle of putting ourselves in the shoes of other people, trying to think what they think, feel what they feel. And, um, and if we do that, like all these, all these other things that, that we add to that, um, we can talk about equity and diversity and inclusion would make, make a lot of sense, right? Because they're used to kind of thinking outside of themselves and, um, and thinking about other people's perspectives. And that can start, that can start early on. Um, and yeah. so that's the number one thing. And, and that muscle will serve them well their whole life, right? That's one of those things that, you know, that empathy, whether, you know, whether it's leading with empathy, whether it's their relationships with their future partners, like that is always going to serve them right. really well. Just being just being a, a human being that understands what it means to be to have empathy uh, towards another person. So that's something we can do do very early. And another thing that we can do, again, depending on their age, is just exposure. So Brenna Myers has this quote that um, biases are the stories that we make up about people before we know who they actually are. That's mm -hmm. what a bias is at the heart of it. It's our mind kind of filling in the blank and, and kind of telling a story about a person when we don't have the information. The reason we struggle in this area with biases is because we don't have real data. We just have uh, glimpses and we're filling in the blanks or we're taking our we're, we're, we're drawing our conclusions from, um, from from sources that are not our own experiences. And so exposing our children to stories uh, with uh, diverse, uh, diverse characters, hearing those stories of, of diverse people, like stories centered uh, on um, diverse uh, people, 
can uh, get them not only exposure, but it also, um, you know, exercises that empathy muscle uh, that we have, where it's just normal for them to see uh, this level uh, of diversity. Because what I see when I see pushback when it comes to this work is uh, fear. With a lot of older folks, they just they have have, they're fearful of this work for whatever reason. Fear they're going to lose something. Fear that's going to mean, you know, uh, that there's some kind of privilege, I guess, that they're going to to not have anymore. Um, so we have to, uh, you know, make sure our children are growing up in a place where they, it's not a fearful thing to dig into some of these issues and early exposure yeah. and help them do that. And one thing I'm noticing, uh, particularly, um, you know, my, my, my youngest um, is uh, these, this is a generation, well, one, they're the most ethnically diverse generation that this country has ever seen. Number two, some of these things that we may be struggling with, they are not struggling with. Um, things like pronouns and inclusive language and just really um, you know, having this larger view uh, of the world is, is there every day. Um, and they are typically, um, because of, of what they've been exposed to, they're, they're conscious of some of these, some of these issues that you know, some of, the, of us are, are kind of struggling with every day. So. They are a generation of activists and, and people who are not um, uh, scared to use their voice. They're informed um, in a lot of ways, and um, and we have to continue as as uh, parents uh, to nurture nurture all of that in them. I, I like what you're saying, and it's very powerful. Um, and I think I'm going to keep going back to this welcomed, valued, respected, seen, and heard, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. thing, because it's just so applicable in so many instances yeah. at home, at the workplace, wherever, when you're yes. at the grocery store, you, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and a way to bridge between those that we know and feel yeah. good about and feel like we don't yeah. have to fill in gaps because we know them mm-hmm. and those areas where we lack the knowledge. And I think a lot of it comes down to the, the that we lack yeah. the understanding, the knowledge, the education mm-hmm. uh, with so many of us are so ignorant in so many ways mm-hmm. uh, that you got to you got to do you got you to gotta put in the work. So that gets me thinking, you know, Jermaine, you mentioned uh, fear. Mark, you mentioned, you know, a lack of uh, knowledge. Mm-hmm. And and I think, sure, the fear probably a lot of times comes from feel it, uh, you know, an assumption that that there there's a threat, you know, to the way that you've always lived your life, you know. You uh, but I think that also sometimes the fear may come from not feeling like you have the the language or the tools mm-hmm. to to address this. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the things, you know, after the murder of George Floyd and after, you know, black lives matter really came into the spotlight. That's mm-hmm. really, really stuck with me Yeah, is that it is not the job of a person of color. It's mm-hmm. not the job of a person whose sexual orientation is different from mine. It's not the job of a person who uh, suffers from mental illness to teach me <laughs> as a a cisgender white male Mm -hmm. to teach me about the history of injustice Mm -hmm. that, that they have experienced and that their family has experienced any underrepresented population has experienced. And I fully respect that. I also want to genuinely want to learn and be educated about it. I have empathy. I want to learn about it. So how do I learn about it without feeling like I'm pushing a boundary by 
engaging somebody in conversation about it in fear of them coming back and saying, I don't, it's not my responsibility to yeah. teach you. And, and by no means am I saying like, yeah. poor me. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. You were just saying, um, so what you're talking about as, as I, as I'm, as I'm understanding is like, how do I, how do I be this ally? Right. I want to be an ally. To That's those. exactly what it really is. cool about allyship is allyship is intersectional. Right. So a white woman can be an ally to black folks, uh, uh, you know, cisgender person be an ally to those in the LGBTQ plus community, et cetera. Right. So the whole, the, the heart of allyship is it's by nature intersectional. We, we come alongside those in ally and support. And so, and a part of that allyship is education and learning. But I think you're, that you have the pro I want to be, I want to be mindful and careful. That's all allies expected to do. And this is what I, I so appreciate about true allies is this exchange. I always say there's an exchange of my privilege for your struggle. That's what an ally does, right? So I have whatever privilege I have, I'm going to, I'm going to give some of that to you. And, uh, and then what I'll take back is your struggle. I'll take some of that from me. What you said about allyship made me think of a clip that I saw once. I just had to look it up because I couldn't remember the name of the woman. Uh, Joy DeGry. I Joy love De- her. Yes. Okay. She has the a fantastic, the trip to the grocery store. Yeah, yes. exactly. That I would, I, I, anyone listening to, to put some more context or, or put it into the context of a real world scenario. Yes. I would watch that video. If you just go, uh, just go to YouTube and type Joy DeGry, D-E-G-R-U-Y, uh, a yeah. trip to the grocery store. Cause that, I saw that a long time ago and it has stuck with me and it's, it's just, it's a very powerful story. And it just really embodies what Jermaine was just yeah. talking what about. What is the story of an upstander, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. that is, that is what an upstander uh, does her sister law. Yeah. So good stuff. Well, I just want to say it, it's conversations like this that give us parents more tools to put in our, our, our toolbox here when it comes to bringing up kids that have everything that you were just talking about, you know, empathy, respect, and understanding. So Jermaine, thank you so much for being a part of this conversation. I feel very invigorated. So I, I appreciate that. Awesome. And also enjoy the holidays. <laughs> like we, you, we, we, we wish you and your family just all the best. Uh, I, I don't know how you're going to swing it with kids all over the world, but, <laughs> no either, but we'll make best it of luck. Yeah. <laughs> Mark and Adam, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to, to hang out with you all uh, this morning and looking forward to, forward to stay connected. You have a wonderful holiday as well. Thanks so much. For appreciate it so much, Jimmy. Thank you. Come in. Are you decent? Oh, come in. Oh, hey, Adam. Hey, let's just close it out, dude. You've reached the end of another episode of the Modern Dadhood podcast. Yeah, congratulations. Congratulations to me or to the listener? No, to the listener. To the listener. To the listener. Ah, yeah. As I said at the top of the episode, uh, all episodes of this show can be found on our website at moderndadhood.com or on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, or anywhere else you could find podcasts. Uh, Please do subscribe. Please leave us a rating and a review and tell one friend, just one. I mean, you could tell more, but just one would be very helpful. One friend about modern dadhood. We've got Instagram and Facebook and YouTube pages. You can find us on all of those platforms. We've got uh, a merch and dice store on our website. Uh, just go to moderndadhood.com where you can find 
t-shirts. You can find dad hoodies. Still able to order them in time for Christmas. Every order ships with a free sticker. <laughs> it's worth it. The sticker, the sticker alone is worth it. Oh, you know what else you can do, friend, if that's what you really are? You can drop us a line at hey, H-E-Y, at moderndadhood.com. You can write in and you could say, oh, what's up, guys? <laughs> what's up, guys? Oh, the interview with Jermaine Moore was fantastic. Uh, more of that, please. I have just got a couple of thank yous I got to rattle off here. These are really important. I want to say thank you to Casper Baby Pants and Spencer Albee for all of the um, delicious, I'm going to say delicious music that you hear throughout every episode of Modern Dadhood. Mm-hmm. Also to Pete Morris at Red Vault Audio for mixing our show. Give me his website uh, Pete's URL is redvaultaudio.com. Lastly, I would like to thank Jermaine Moore for taking time out of a uh, busy week. He met with us during the week of Thanksgiving uh, and uh, he spent a lot of time with us and he dropped some serious wisdom. So uh, much appreciated to Jermaine Moore. And why don't you take the last one this time, dude? To our listeners, we want to offer a, a most sincere thank you for listening.